When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Thursday, April 13th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we're going to take a look at some movers on the stuff leaderboards in terms of fastball and stuff, right? So we're going to focus on some big changes there, digging into some maybe early risers. Do a lot of would you rathers, uh, kind of working through working through these early days and trying to make sense of them. You know, it's just what we do in April. It's the I think it's the toughest time of year to analyze baseball. Yeah, it's pretty weird. I was looking at the team leaderboards today for a radio hit in Hawaii, and uh, I was amazed by how many teams are allowing five runs a game. And I was thinking back to that team analyst who told me that the shift thing is going to be a big deal on the team and game level, and it's going to add a lot in terms of offense because that's how it looks like it is looking right now. And so if you're Wondering, I think generally, you know, people are like, what about all these pitcher blowups? And I think that the answer is never one thing. You know me enough. King of wafflers. You know, I'm the lover of nuance. And so there's no, it's not just one thing that's, that's contributing to all these. I would say that A, yes, some are dealing with the pitch clock. Uh, B, some are just dealing with the fact that the shift isn't helping them as much anymore. And then C, some are just stinking. Yeah. And indeed, like some are just running some bad luck. Well, I'm looking at the one of my favorite pages anyway, the page on baseball reference that shows you league stats year over year. So it's really easy to see how things are now compared to the last few seasons. Team runs per game so far in 2023, 4.7. We've seen this very recently. We saw this back in 2019. We saw 4.83 runs per game. But last rabbit year, ball. rabbit ball year. Last year was down at 4.28, though. That's a pretty big jump. Team runs per game. So to put it in the context of slash lines, the league... Dude, that's almost exactly what my modeler said. Ah, see? A run per game more. That's If you talk about team runs per game being up 0.5... Wow. Way to nail it. <laughs> the slash line so far, and it's early. Usually the slash line goes up over the course of the season, right? That's Weather right. gets better, ball carries better. 250, 324, 410... So that's also kind of like 2019, where the batting average was 252, the OBP was 323, slugging percentage was higher that year, 435. So the ball maybe isn't as juiced, or at least the power's not showing up quite the same way. It's kind of what they wanted to do is, you know, more singles without a ton more homers. And I think that's, at least early on, it kind of looks like it's working. Of course, if you want to know how much our stolen base is up, it's 0.69 steals per team game. Last year, we were at 0.51. That is a huge increase. You go back to the year of the rabbit ball for comparison, what that run environment was like. We had all that power, but it was 0.47 steals per team game instead of 0.69. So the early running is absolutely a part how, of this. How far, can you see how far back can you see right now? 
I can scroll all the way, but do you want to know the last time we got to we had a point six nine yeah. level? It would be we're kind of close in the twenty eleven and twenty twelve because we we're at point six seven and point six six those two years. So very very mm-hmm. close then. Nineteen ninety nine was the last time we actually had oh. that many steals or more steals per team game than we've had so far this season. We've like we've steroid era. We've turned back the clock quite a bit with speed in particular. And I, I don't mind yeah, that. Yeah, BABIP is, is the best BABIP uh, we've had in about 15 years. Totally makes sense, given all the adjustments that we've seen. and Making sense of it, of course, is still something that's a work in progress. But you want to dig into some stuff, risers, based on fastball improvements, right? Such an important thing to improve. You made some giant leaderboards. I'm still kind of parsing through them. Well, the first the first one is uh, just stuff stuff plus improvers, just overall and stuff for every for the whole arsenal. Plus improvers, yeah, and and you want uh, about two hundred pitches. We've got you know sixty starters or so that are there, so you kind of want to focus in a little bit more on the starters uh, because they've given you more sample there. But even when you go through that, there are asterisks. So. For example, um, you know the the biggest stuff plus inc- inc- uh, increaser this year in terms of starting pitcher year over year stuff plus is Graham Ashcraft, um, and that I think is due uh, to some additions to his pitch mix. Um, yeah, second is Jacob Degrom, which is just ridiculous, <laughs> and I don't even know what to do with that. Uh, and, but uh, third and fourth are Alex Wood and Shamanaya, who throw changeups, and changeups take forty pitches to stabilize, while fastballs take twenty. And so, you know, even a guy who's had two starts and throws a fair amount of changeups might not have gotten to forty changeups. You know, so I do believe. In Shamanaya, actually, it's it's such a velocity-based change that I'm just like, that one's pretty easy. I mean, he's now throwing harder than he's ever thrown in the big leagues. And I just talked to him last night about it. And he was like, not only is it about, you know, first time doing weighted balls in my career, but I just have a, like, I never had an arm care routine. I just never... I was like, well, yeah. Huh? Thank you, Oakland A's. <laughs> this man's 31 so, years old. He's pitching yeah. the big league since 2016. He's never had an arm care routine. Like at least not the not the kind that the that they have at um, uh, at driveline. So um, the rest of the stuff, I did ask him because the the changeup has changed a little bit, and he said, you know, that's uh, the sliders. There's some been some tweaks to the slider uh, in terms of his cues on it. Um, but mostly it's been, you know, three or four drills they gave him, the arm care routine and the weighted balls in the off season. It's just a sim- such a simple recipe that I believe in it. Plus he has such a high floor given he has kind of like home run dampening skills and he's in a home run dampening park. It's just a good marriage of, uh, ability and, and jumping upness. But, but Alex Wood has burned us before as a stuff plus guy. And, uh, you know, I don't know how much I believe uh, you know, sort of change-ups going up and down in this way. Um, so, you know, the next name that I would highlight, and I'm going to highlight in my piece that I'm going to do about fastball changers, is J.P. Sears. Mm-hmm. He's back. And uh, Does he have an arm care following. routine because he used to be a Yankee? 
<laughs> yeah, probably. The old binder, does he still use that? Yeah, he probably does. Um, and I'm going to um, write this up, but uh, J.P. Sears has had the fourth... Well, actually, he's, he's tied with uh, Chris Bubich, who we'll talk about in a second, but he's had the third best increase in his forcing fastball stuff plus. And um, I just think that's super meaningful because... Sears has been a bad fastball guy in the past. We have talked about this a little bit on the pod before. Uh, I think maybe with spring numbers. But uh, just getting a guy who has good secondaries uh, up to this level, it's something that I I will mention in the Ryan Weathers uh, write-up in my piece too, which is just getting a fastball that was in the 60s and 70s and 80s and stuff plus and getting it up to uh 99 100 is huge i mean it's just gonna make all his other stuff play up and he already had good secondaries it's something that i think teams are are trying to do from here and there maybe it's part of the cleveland experience um you know oh you have a good slider and you throw 91 well let's throw in weighted balls and see if we can get it from 94. um the Shane Bieber uh, clone clone line. So, you know, I think J.P. Sears uh, looks a lot better to me now than he did a start or two ago. And again, like Manaya, you know, pretty good home park uh, to, to, to at least be like, hey, I'm going to start him most of the time, at, like maybe 100% of the time at home and maybe, what, 25, 50% of the time on the road? I mean, that's... Uh, that's Probably useful in most leagues. Yeah, it's playable. I mean, that's the guy that stays on your roster in a 15-team league and someone that could actually stick longer than you expect, depending on how the schedule breaks for a stretch in a 12. That's that's the company he would keep. I think we started to get into this a little bit on our last episode on Monday, at least our last episode where it was just you and I kind of going through some early season stuff. I find it very difficult to separate the pitchers in this group because many of them have similar flaws. It's either velocity it's not premium even if it's improved or it's only having one really good whiff pitch not really having two it, it, it's always something or it's even just being on a bad team so you're always worried about what you're actually going to get in terms of win probability and, what kind of, and then coaching like, yeah what kind of coaching is chris bubich going to get when he's with the team and and what's what kind of coaching is sears going to get with oakland that hasn't seemingly been producing a lot of uh, starting pitchers in this in this iteration of the coaching staff. Yeah, and and for me, like I I had those guys within the same group as Michael Grove when Grove was available. I want to say it was two weekends ago now, and I thought, well, hey, Michael Grove is a Dodger. The Dodgers tend to be very good at developing pitchers, so Michael Grove will be just as successful, if not more successful, than some of these other guys. I prioritized him as an ad, and uh, two starts later. He's given up 12 earned runs on 14 hits over seven and a third innings. So, I mean, it doesn't mean he'll never be good, but... Only so far you can push an 88 stuff plus. Right. Like, I think it was um, it was trying to will someone to be better than he probably <laughs> was just based on context. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the Dodgers, I think, for what it's worth, seem willing to, like, you know, bring a lot of these guys up, coach them up to their top, and then and then trade him away. <laughs> so you never know which one you're going to get, right? You're like, oh, he's a Dodger. I believe in him. Well, which one are you getting? The one that they keep or the one that they trade away? <laughs> are you getting the Dustin May or are you getting Josiah Gray? 
Yeah, and in Grove's case, I mean, the big problem has been home runs in the minor leagues. Like, if you look at just K's walks and homers. Yeah, and an 81 fastball plus. It's fastball stuff plus. That's why, you know, a guy like Steers getting up to 95, I think, is a big deal. Yeah. Uh, so, mentioned Bubich. He came up a, a couple times in the last week or so because he's made a lot of changes. Is he... Compared to these other guys, like you mentioned Graham Ashcraft too. Ashcraft to me seems like he might be the best of the bunch. I mean, Manaya, maybe because there's more track record there, maybe there's more trust with him. But Graham Ashcraft just looks a bit different on paper. Like the arsenal's really good. He gets a lot of ground balls. So I don't think that home park is going to burn him. I don't think we have any concerns about how the Reds are going to use him, which seems to be a little bit of an issue for the Giants' rotation. I don't know if that was just a blip for Manaya, the shorter outing his first time out. Now they're doing that with Ross Stripling out of the bullpen. Uh, but how do you prioritize in this group when you're in a situation like the more shallow formats where multiples or even all of these guys could still be available? Yeah. I mean, I'm tempted to say work the schedule but if you get too deep into that then you're you're just streaming you know and uh that's a difficult um way out so um i do pri- I, I do like home parks that bring up the floor and that is a difficulty for ashcraft as much as i believe in him um when we had him projected we said you know this is a guy with like a 36 true talent ERA projection. And then we had to knock it up to 4-2, I think, for the park. Now, he went back and he looked at it, you know, uh, uh, Jordan Rosamond looked at it, and he he came back and he said, well, maybe it's a 4-1. That's still a big, uh, big park factor increase. So, you know, I don't know. You have to be specific here on some level. What's the who would you rather that you're putting in front of me? Ashcraft versus Bubich. Because Bubich does have a much better home park. And I think Ashcraft has... I think Ashcraft has better stuff. Better arsenal. I think he's the guy that... If I'm trying to figure out who's going to have more success long-term in the big leagues based on what they can do today, I would bet on Ashcraft over Bubich, even though I do think Bubich's adjustments are legit and worthwhile. Yeah, I guess I'm going to take Ashcraft. Um, You know, one thing that I've noticed... Uh, with Bubich was um, that he gave back some of his gains in the second start. So there's a great piece on fan graphs about Bubich in terms of his um, uh, his his changes and uh, I think it's by Jake My I don't actually know how to say his last name I think it's if I was talking about it French would be Mayo. But I doubt that. Male hot. <laughs> Doing my best. He's good. His stuff's always good when I read it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jake's uh, piece about uh, Bubich was was like, oh, he added this much, uh, you know, ride to his fastball. And then uh, I looked at uh, the player page uh, for for her Bubich, and um, he gave back an inch second game trying to get it up right now but uh, let me just look at it here vertical movement on the four scene per game uh, in the uh, in the 
first game of the season was 899, uh, which was significantly uh, better than his seasonal average last year. Uh, for the year last year, he had an 869, so it's like a you know a third of an inch. It's still still a difference. Um, but uh, and then the horizontal movement uh, on the four seam ha- has gone down this year. Uh, but if you look at it per game, um, it went back to where it was last year. So he had this one game where he had you know almost zero ver- uh, horizontal movement on his four seam, and he had more vertical movement than he did last year. And in the second game, he had the same horizontal movement that he had last year. So he gave back a fair amount of it. Now, the slider is new. The slider is great. Anybody who can throw a slider should throw a slider. Anybody who started throwing a slider who never threw a slider before is more interesting to me. Alex Cobb is more interesting to me today than he was even before. So Bubich is more interesting because he threw a slider. But Ashcraft's changes in terms of his movement and stuff are not as drastic and he's held on to them game to game um his slider's a little different and it's been a little different than it was last year game to game so that's part of my reasoning uh it may be off the it is so powerful to throw a slider in today's game that maybe that is all i should care about Bubich throws a slider and he didn't before with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's definitely come up before as, as kind of a key ingredient to being a good pitcher. Slider command. Do you have good slider command? Do you have a breaking pitch that you can throw it where you need to throw it, wherever you want to throw it? That can be a big equalizer. That can give you a foundation to at least be a useful five-inning starter if the fastball is not garbage and there's some third pitch that you can use just to keep hitters guessing a little bit. Uh, I think it is that the slider addition for Bubich matters more to me. I think the other thing I was thinking about with the the fastball movement, it, are there fluctuations in that due to any sort of park factors? I think about how you know Oracle Park, San Francisco, where he made that second start. The second start was the better of the two. That was nine Ks, six scoreless, two hits. It was fantastic and start. Stuff plus liked it less. <laughs> but was that? Do you see fluctuations based on atmospheric? conditions park factors because Sanford pitching in San Francisco is a lot different than pitching in Kansas City well I know that we're at altitude adjusting and I don't think there's a significant difference between Toronto and San Francisco in terms of altitude I might be wrong San Francisco is right on the water Toronto may have some some height to it but that wouldn't you would think then it would be better at 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 that level Toronto's elevation is 251 feet. This is what my life okay. has become. I've I've spent so much time in the last week because of our PCL conversation, googling city elevations. I'm gonna get a notification soon. Like from well, San Francisco is like five. So yes, <laughs> that one I can confirm with my eyes. It's, uh, right. it's close <laughs> to zero. The water. <laughs> <laughs> We're not much higher than it. Um, it, I haven't, uh, we haven't looked into so much atmospheric conditions. That could be part of it. And it is something that I noticed with Andrew Haney, who is the number one fastball shape improver. In his first start, he had 
a worse vertical movement on his fastball than he had in five years. In his second start, he had a better fastball vertical movement than he'd had in a year. So there is still game-to-game -game variation. That is why it is still better to sort of get that third start in. You get, you know, maybe three different atmospheres to kind of level it out. Um, but on some, I would say Bubich, Bubich's main improvement has come from throwing a slider when he didn't throw a slider before. I, I remain agnostic on the fact that his forcing is that much different. Seems fair, just given that we want to see a bit more. But thinking about Andrew Heaney versus both of, of Ashcraft and Bubich, Heaney was a guy people liked. People wanted to draft him. The KMA and his BB percentage really good. You know, the adjustments he made with the Dodgers seemed like they were legitimately long-standing adjustments that would help him continue to get hitters out and strike more guys out. The bigger question has always been health for Andrew Heaney. It's not really a talent question, but do you still prefer Heaney, someone who was consistently and clearly drafted ahead of Ashcraft and Bubich, or have some of these guys who have been waiver guys actually close the gap? Because that Heaney seems like he was going closer to where you can start to make these arguments that the the difference between the pick two hundred starting pitcher and the guys that go undrafted is actually pretty small, mm -hmm. relatively speaking. So have those guys closed the gap? Are they more interchangeable? Are they? Is it almost a question of schedule more than anything else when you're looking at at Heaney versus? The other two guys that we've been talking about. Mm. What did he struggle in in the first game? Royals was good. Second game, oh, first game was Baltimore was bad. Yep. Um, but he was so heeny esque against the Royals. I mean, that's ten strikeouts. I mean, yeah, he should have given up a homer. That would have been the the more uh, full <laughs> hander and your experience. Um. Uh, I still think he's uh, a level ahead. I think Haney and Ashcraft, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't drop if they had like a two-week schedule that I might have to nurse them through. Uh, Bubich maybe is there. I don't know, uh, but that's that's how I feel right now. Here's a name that we. I think it's. I think the hardest ones are the ones that the model really likes that aren't doing well and none of the other numbers like yeah i mean clark schmidt <laughs> is clark schmidt and ryan nelson i think are just i like i don't even know what to do man i don't know what to do because it's not as simple as just you know how good is your stuff plus i you know we talk about that a lot in this, this show we're talking about it a lot in this particular show um but it's also kind of how things fit together and his new arsenal of like kind of being sinker sweeper curve with the cutter he just he's getting blown up by by lefty is my impression. Let me just make sure that I'm right on that. And you're talking about Clark Schmidt right now. Yeah, Clark yeah. Schmidt has a 535 Woba against lefties. That's not going to work. And a 237 against righties. That's some um, that's some Tanner Houck stuff. But his strikeout minus walk rate is not as aggressively different, although still 26% strikeout rate against righties, 17.6 against lefties. Teams are going to stack lefties against them, and 
he becomes a kind of cutter curve guy against them. And even when you look at his stuff plus numbers, those are not necessarily his best pitches. The, the curve is rating well right now. But in terms of a hard pitch he can go to, the sinker is not that good. The four seam rates well, but he doesn't use it very much. And the cutter right now is a 92 stuff plus. So is there a problem here? Is there a problem with, uh, with, with stamina? Because I, I saw his I saw his game against the Giants and the first two innings I was like this is the guy throwing ninety six sweepers love him he went three and a third yeah I I think just given the injuries and the way he's been used in the past that was something that I probably should have been more concerned about with this opportunity I wonder I mean Carlos Rodon. Had a small setback, but it sounds like he's probably coming back in May. It's not going to be these next couple of weeks. Severino, still a few weeks away also. Domingo Herman is pitching better than Clark Schmidt. I thought Clark Schmidt had a chance to just pass him. He's not taking advantage of the opportunity. And then Johnny Brito has emerged to pitch pretty well so far too. And I think if your problem... Both of them with worse stuff plus numbers than Clark Schmidt. But if your biggest flaw is getting lefties out and your home park is that park, that's going to amplify that problem. Mm. That's a flaw that you can get away with some places, but you're not going to get away with it there. And if he's fading within those outings, it's so easy for the Yankees to say, you know what, you're really good four, five, six outs at a time. You're going to be that glue guy. We've seen Michael King has been a guy they've used in that role a lot. So if that's what Clark Schmidt ends up being, that's good for the Yankees. It's not good for us, right? It's 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 an unfortunate call from a he's a good sleeper sort of perspective. I guess that are you giving him any more opportunities? He's, he just pitched yesterday against Cleveland, four innings, season high, three earned, six hits, three Ks. Like is that an I don't know seventy two pitches? He's throwing enough pitches to go deeper. He's just not efficient enough. What was the? Um... So you said he went yesterday? Yeah, he went Wednesday against Cleveland. So he's throwing, yeah, 72, 84, and 76 pitches. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. So you'd have the Angels at home. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. And the Blue Jays at home. Oh, God. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. His third start is Yankees Rangers. Maybe Maybe he's just a streamer, dude. Maybe, I don't, like... Maybe I play him against the Angels, but I'm not playing him against the Blue Jays, especially if he doesn't do anything better against the Angels. The next time that I would want to kind of circle on the schedule is Yankees at Rangers. And that's April 26th. Now you're talking about, is Severino back? Possibly. And it's so hard to have someone on your roster that you don't want to start, because if someone gets hurt, and all of a sudden that's your only alternative, it's either a zero or the high-risk start that you didn't want. So if you're seeing him more as a limited use streamer, you got to go ahead and cut your losses, even though the model still believes in in what he could become. Do you have any thinking back to the last season? Like, are you like you have to also think like, okay, let's say he does break out against the Angels, would that even change you that much in terms of wanting to start him against the Blue Jays? Probably not enough because three starts where he's gone four innings or less that, and then one good start against the Angels at home still is like Ugh. and there's not a lot of lefties in that angels lineup you know Otani obviously is a lefty but trout renfro drury rendon ohapi those guys are all righties yeah so then you got ryan nelson uh who's going to pitch today or tomorrow i have bad math i should have like a probables open mlb probable 
I think he's today. Today is a, a real short. I think he's Saturday because the the Diamondbacks are off today. We get the Madison Bumgarner experience on Friday, and yeah. then Nelson goes Saturday against Miami. I would use Nelson in that spot because Miami's a bottom five offense, and it's an easy place to pitch. Easy to hold in the short term. Right. Yeah. So you, this is sort of a quality start last time out against the Dodgers, so you at least pitch deep. It's hard because of the uh, the lack of K-BB. And, like, yes, stuff is supposed to be K-BB, but, like, you can't help but look at it. K-BB is still one of the most important stats out there for pitching evaluation. But, 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 at San Diego home against the Dodgers for those first two starts, those are two really tough matchups to start the year. And I realize being in the NL West, he will see those teams a lot. So you have to think about it a little more long-term at some point. How much are you yeah, going to want to use him in those Padres spots? Again, after the Miami. Yeah. But then he gets the Royals at home and the Rangers on the road. Like His his schedule does lighten up. I, I'm, that, that actually helps me keep him. I, I'm a lot more optimistic about Nelson than I am about Schmidt. Yeah. Schmidt's yeah, more of I an easy cut. Too. Nelson, I think, is right on that borderline. If you're sitting there with Nelson and you're looking at the Ashcraft Bubich cluster, I might be inclined to stick with Nelson. Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, it's a yeah. You know, it's just a really tough park. You know, I, I, I got right into this a lot when I was trying to rank Cole and Degrom at their peaks, and you know, I was like. I think I put Cole ahead of, uh, no, I put DeGrom ahead of Cole and, or, you know, every time I did one or the other, I got attacked from one of those, one other side of New York. And, uh, and I was like, well, you know, I think that part, part of with Cole might be the sickest of enforcement, but also just, it's a really tough park. Like what if you put Cole in New York, the other stadium, I think he would be easily the best pitcher in baseball by all our stats. Yeah, 225 ERA, 0.95 whip. Yeah. That's probably what you're getting. Instead, he's in New York, which he's doing like three two fives, and you're like, yeah, he's really good, and he's leading the league in strikeouts, but he also has this home run problem, and he's got to break out this cutter this year. By the way, I I know it's already going, but Cole versus Gossman is the is the Cy Young for me right now. Mm. I think he hasn't thrown it a lot, the cutter, but it... I think he. I saw enough out of it in spring where I'm like, this is a pitch that he's going to go to a little bit more as the season goes on, and it's going to help him against lefties, and he gives up more homers to lefties. So I, I, I see something good in, in, in the early going and from spring uh, on Cole, and Gossman was the biggest stuff-less improver in, in spring among starting pitchers, and he's got ride back on his fastball, and I think he's throwing a sweeper and a, a gyro slider, so... There's something there where, like, even if those are not the best breaking balls, there's just an opportunity there for him to maybe finally have an average breaking ball. I watched a little bit of the Spencer Strider Hunter Green matchup on Wednesday night. Plenty of K's. Two five inning closers. <laughs> five inning closers. And I, I remember there was a sequence, I forget who was up, but Spencer Strider threw that changeup, which he doesn't throw very often. It doesn't look like a bad pitch to me. Yeah. Does the model like it? Or is it one of those changeups that he hides it because it really isn't that good and it really can only work with this limited usage? Hey, he's got a 103 on it. In fact, it's better than his slider stuff plus right now, which would be a, a change from last year. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna um, predict that that doesn't hold. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm, not, I'm also <laughs> gonna agree with you, uh, especially given how long it takes. But 
you know, he had an 86 stuff plus on the changeup last year. That's a usable pitch, you know, especially since being able to throw it helps you turn the lineup more often, you know. It was an interesting conversation with him to talk about why should I throw this pitch when my other two pitches get so many whiffs and every pitch should have a purpose. But sometimes the purpose is get this guy out without showing him my slider. Because the more you show him your slider, the more he can hit it. I like it. I like a pitch like that. If you get into when Spencer Strider faces some of the elite of the elite hitters that he goes up against, guys that can deal with two plus pitches a little bit better. I think that's when you sneak the changeup in. You're having one of those battle, you know, seven, eight pitches, maybe. A, they're, they're rare plate appearances. Freddie Freeman's going to be like on your fastball and he's going to be spitting on your slider. Yeah. And then you just throw him one that you throw him a changeup in the zone and he'll probably spit on it and maybe you can steal a strike. Right. I think that's that's when you're going to use it the most. It's just when you you have to have something else in your pocket to get an elite hitter out in a tight situation. Maybe that's the other time. It's the complete element of surprise. But if he gets that up to 10 or 12% at some point, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I don't think he'd be throwing his two amazing pitches too little. I think it would actually be an okay adjustment to keep ticking that up just a little bit. Hunter Green... I'm curious what the model's showing for the command for him. I, that was always the the concern with Green coming through the red system. It was a concern upon arrival last year. Are we seeing signs of growth in his ability to locate his pitches? It says a 100 location plus. Um, and he's really slimmed down his arsenal to just the four-seam inside or really occasional change-ups. So I, I think that basically by being like, hey, just throw the pitches you can command that have high stuff, it's really helping him. Um, and it reminds me a little bit of the Hunter Brown situation where he gets worse command grades than maybe he deserves. Uh, because I think it's more important to be able to get it in the zone than it is to be able to really place it in the zone. Because I don't honestly think that pitchers have that much ability to place it around the zone. Some some do, but as a, as a general uh, group, I don't know that they do. You know, another another uh, group that's that's hard for me is the the poor stuff guys that are that are performing. Mm. Sonny Gray has an eighty-eight stuff plus. <laughs> uh, David Peterson has an eighty-eight stuff plus. Alex Cobb is actually down to ninety because uh, his four seam is really falling off. Um. Alec Manoa, though, you know, the, 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 there was poor poor stuff plus there and it predicted what's going on. Eduardo Rodriguez, Miles Michaelis, a lot of the a lot of the strugglers. Josiah Gray, 79 stuff plus. Patrick Corbin, 78. But uh, you know, when you when you're down here and you're looking at Sonny Gray and you're saying, well, he still has the elite breaking balls, and he's he's dealing, and he's had better stuff plus in the in the past. What do you do with that? I don't know. I was, you know, watching. I didn't get to see that start in its entirety against the White Sox. That was on Wednesday for Sonny Gray. Seeing the highlights of it, it looked pretty good. It looked like everything was moving. Everything was crisp. Velo looked solid. I, I, I was surprised when you mentioned him as someone who had bad stuff numbers. I would have thought he'd been kind of in the average, yeah, slightly above average. Like I didn't even. That was not even on my radar. I just, I just sorted on Fangraphs. I was like, what is this guy's name doing? Interesting enough, though, they didn't have a huge lead. They did take him out of their 78 pitches 
when he was cruising. Five scoreless, five Ks, two walks out after 78 pitches. The big start he had was a 13K start at home against the Astros back on the 7th. Through 98 pitches in that one. And I was trying to figure out, just looking at that box score, no, that wasn't a case where they had a big lead or anything either. Really odd. I don't know if that was just preventative maintenance. Every couple turns, they're going to try and get him out a little earlier. It has been injury prone. Bullpen rest maybe was a factor. They had everybody they wanted available in the pen. No, they have their own stuff plus numbers for him too. It's like, you know, he can't afford to fall off of that, especially with the fastball. I wouldn't go shopping in here. You know, like I, I, I might hold on to someone that seems like found money. I might be more careful with them than I thought. Bryce Elder has the second worst stuff plus among pitchers, starting pitchers who've thrown 10 innings. And, but he's, and right behind is Bailey Falter. Now, I do think there's a little difference there where you're like, well, Bryce Elder has had good numbers in the minors, whereas Bailey Falter has been up and down, you know. And Bailey Falter pitches, I guess Bryce Elder does pitch in a tough home park. I might be less inclined to start Bryce Elder at home than other people, you know. And I'm definitely if you if I've got a Bryce Elder in a in a in a keeper league, I'm shopping him. So on an individual pitch basis, does Bryce Elder have a good slider and nothing else the model likes? Is that why he's got a bad stuff number? Nothing the model likes. Zero. Zero zero pitches. He has a seventy sinker out of a hundred the hundred is that average, a fifty-three cutter, a seventy-eight slider, and a twenty-four changeup. Well, yeah. Now the changeup number could be totally wrong. That could be totally wrong. It, you want 40 pitches and the changeup stuff plus is not great. Even if the changeup, let's say the changeup is instead of 24 is 124, I still wouldn't love that line. Well, I, I know pitch results are not perfect, especially when we're talking about 104 changeups thrown last year. But the league hit 286 against the changeup that Bryce Elder threw last year. 464 was the slugging percentage against it. That doesn't make me think good changeup. I don't think it's a good changeup. So, uh, what I have, what I, what I do know is we have not platoon adjusted stuff plus, and so sometimes lefties are hurt, hmm. and you will see more lefties on the bottom of this list than right than you'd expect. Kyle Freeland is number one. Elder is a lefty, correct? Elder's a righty. Elder's a righty. No, <laughs> so doesn't throw hard. Throw that one out. Yeah, you, you look at his pitch mix, you're like, that's a soft-tossing that's lefty. A lefty. And you're like, yeah. you look at the ball, and you're like, damn, that's in his right hand. That's... Well, I don't have that excuse for him. But but David Peterson, who has an 88, uh, that might be part of uh, why he's down there. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, who has an 89, I, I believe that he has uh, poor stuff. He's always uh, kind of had poor stuff. Um, Marco Gonzalez could be, his changeup could be underrated, but he's always been kind of a, a poor stuff, high command guy. Um, so there are there are a few more lefties than righties in the bottom of this list, and we're going to work on that. That's that's on the list to to, to improve. But Bryce Elder is uh, a head scratcher for me, and uh, he's a little bit like Clark Schmidt. Where you know, if I was deciding between Clark Schmidt and Bryce Elder, it's so extreme, and the park differences are so extreme, and the model differences are so extreme. I might just throw up my hands and be like, "Fine, I'll pick up Bryce Elder." You know. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I will still, uh, hedge towards the model. Like Ho- Johan Oviedo is throwing 96. And so you might be tempted to say, you know, Pittsburgh, all this 88 stuff plus no pitch above a hundred. If Luis Ortiz comes up, I'm much more excited. I'm dropping Johan Oviedo for Luis Ortiz. There's a world where they coexist in the rotation though. So it's, you know, it's hopefully it doesn't come Especially down to JT Brubaker hurt. Yeah. So here's the other uh, 
pitching-related question. I'm looking at the laggard board for K-BB percentage, of course. Very early. Mm. Everything's very early. I'm looking at the guys who are under 6% right now. And there are about 15 names. I'm going to rattle them off real quick. Ken Waldachuk, Ryan Weathers, Merrill Kelly, Chad Cool, Patrick Corbin, Nick Martinez, Charlie Morton, Dean Kramer, Patrick Sandoval, Marco Gonzalez, Ryan Nelson, Alec Manoa, Jack Flaherty, Chris Flexen, Jose Arena, and dead last, Edward Cabrera. Edward Cabrera! Dead last, minus 7% right now. <laughs> Shoosh. Oh, two and three start samples are fun. Yeah. I mean, I think that's pushing it even for, for K minus BB. Uh, Negative seven? <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Where is it? Where is he on this? How many innings does he pitch? Mm. Oh, I'm in 2022. That's your problem. He's thrown 11 and two thirds innings. Uh, 108 fastball, 131 fat sinker, 120 slider, and an 84 changeup that's most assuredly wrong. So that's a dude who has had two two starts that look really bad on the surface that you probably would want to go ahead and go get if you could trade for him or if in a shallow league well, he becomes you, available. So yeah, who else are you picking out of this list? Obviously, Ryan Nelson, Edward Cabrera are, are some names that we still like off this list. Yeah, I mean, Manoa, I'm, I'm not worried about Manoa. I don't think that's... I am. We're like worried to the point where you wouldn't want to roster him, though? Uh, yeah, I guess not, but... He's not, he's not really available anywhere. Right, and so the question, like, I would shop him, but it'd be a terrible time to shop him. So I don't know. I just, I, I avoided him. I have no shares of him. I, I, the projections didn't like him. My projections didn't like him. Stuff didn't like him. Uh, I, I just, uh, I, so I don't, this is not a question I have to deal with. If I had him, I would wait for a good stretch and trade him in a keeper league. If I had him in a 15 team league, I would just be careful about how I use him. I guess I don't, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what to do. Honestly, um, Jack Flaherty has a good sinker number, uh, stuff plus one thirteen, but he doesn't throw it actually, so that's that's meaningless. Eighty four stuff plus on the fastball, ninety six on the slider. I don't think he's back, and the K minus BB doesn't like him. Uh, I'm not in on Jack Flaherty. Thirteen walks in his first two starts. I mean, he only walked one in Colorado, which is just bizarro. <laughs> it's uh, not a good lineup though really no no it's not I'm kind of lukewarm on Flaherty I, he's missed so much time it's a little bit of the Chris Sale problem where you, you want to be right in terms of not expecting the old guy to come all the way back immediately but you also don't want to dismiss the possibility that the rust is causing the early struggles so I'm still I'm not quite ready to give up on Jack Flaherty Definitely not ready to give up on sale, even though other people are. Other guys on this list that I actually like, I don't know if there's anyone. I'm. I want to look S- up Morton real quick. Sandoval? Am I trying to go get Patrick Sandoval from someone in a trade? I do think this is an area where if you're going to make an early trade. How about Charlie Morton? Oof, I was going to ask you about him. You know what's happening is his, his fastballs are just leaking, and he's becoming more Adam Wainwright than we want. Yeah, and I just think it's so easy to look at the the date of birth and say this dude's thirty nine years old. Maybe the wheels finally did fall off. I mean, he's he's got the elite curveball. That's why I say on Wainwright, though. I mean, he he's he's liable to figure something out and and Wainwright and have a Wainwright Renaissance. You know, 
to me, that's a streamer. Less and less likely every year. 100% spot him carefully a streamer. The fact that he got back and reached the levels he did after all the injuries he had, it's a yeah. pretty fascinating arc for his career. I'm so biased towards him because he's such a quality human being. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, can, I can root for him while not putting him in my lineup. That's, that's possible. Um, you Darvish is kind of down here. He's not um, not as he's not under six percent, but six point three percent. His first few starts don't look great on paper, at least as far as the underlying numbers go. I'm sticking with him. Yeah, I, I didn't. He didn't strike me as someone that I would be worried about, but I'm, I'm surprised to see him down here. The uh, Waldachuk, uh, he's very up and down. It is bad command. Location has been bad. It was bad last year. His fastball is not great. His slider and change are good. Mm, I can't. I can't buy that too heavy. I guess. I, so I'm buying. Uh, I'm. I'm buying. I like the short term buy on Nelson. Um, and maybe even a long term. Like, hey, like, can I take him off your hands for nothing? Sort of deal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I. Uh, Edward Cabrera is probably going to be hard because the person who who owns him believes in him. Hundred percent. Yep. So it's not like you're just going to pilfer him in a. But but if if it's like a ten team league, he's out there and you could stash him on your bench. I would definitely do that. Um, I think Nick Martinez is going to the bullpen. I like Morton a little more than you, but it's not a dynasty play, and it's it's more like putting him on my 15-team roster and thinking I can nurse him through some bad starts on my bench and stuff, you know, if he's been dropped. Even as a skeptic right now, I would have Morton in for this week against the Royals. I would have been using him for that, so right. that'd be fine. Next week against San Diego, probably on my bench, looking real carefully at the alternative that I could use in his place for that. That's a Padres team I don't want to mess with with starters that I'm unsure about. Sandoval's a guy that the model never really liked, but he always outperformed the model in terms of his changeup in specific. And it's it's actually some sort of reverse seam shifted wake. It's a it's a it's a it's a very strange changeup. And so I'm willing to give him a little a bit of rope. I don't know if he's like a strong acquire, but I'm gonna hold him. I mean, the, the, you know, at least he's got a 164 ERA and he's outperformed different models in the past. And, you know, he seems like a kind of a grinder. I, I'd hold uh, Sandoval. I'm not necessarily dropping him. I mean, when, when you start getting up uh, closer to you Darvish territory, Sandy Alcantara, I'm, I'm totally fine with. I think he'll I think he'll even strike more guys out. I know that's a big part of the discourse right now. I think he'll be fine. Dustin May, I think, will strike more guys out and walk fewer guys. But there is something interesting there where he has high stuff plus, but it hasn't always turned into strikeouts. So I think he's just a guy that you can depend on more for ERA than strikeouts. But I I think he's still dependable. Uh, I heard from a little birdie that Michael Kopech is tipping his pitches. Oh, that would explain part of why he's getting smacked as much as he is. Yeah, what do you do with that though? Is someone going to tell him? Here's my my thought would be that if if you're hearing about it, then someone maybe told him about it by now. I I would hope that the the flow of information is such that if word gets around to the media, then internally they have figured it out. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, because 
I mean, the, the Kevin, like, uh, uh, and maybe even if not before now, like maybe someone gets the word to them now because uh, I remember I tweeted about Kevin Ginkles uh, was tipping his pitches and he'd fixed it the next day. Uh, so uh, uh, Finkel and Einhorn there, Ginkle. Somebody, somebody uh, was sitting up there with their laptop. They just, they're like, what's going on with Ginkle? And all of a sudden, <laughs> tipping pitches. They looked at the video and they're like, yep, yeah, that's that's it. it is. <laughs> Brady Seager was everyone's darling last year. Uh, he's got a 9% K minus BB. Um, and I don't think, I think the model thinks exactly the same as it did last year, which I think he's a plus. And, and that's this, this is what makes Bubich so hard for me is that like Singer did the, like, did something so good last year, all last year. And I sort of expected what he's doing now <laughs> for most of it. So I could be so wrong about Bubich because he could just do what he's doing now all year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is that sort of year-long fluke that definitely happens. Um, I'm not buying Singer. Still not buying Singer. Okay. I'm buying Blake Snell. You are? Okay. 30th in 30th worst in K-BB. But here's an easy one. If you're looking at K-BB and you look over, slide over your eyes over to the K part, and the K part's still okay, then he's more likely I'm going to buy. Like Michael Kopech, I'm still interested in, you know? Uh, Patrick Sandoval with a 9% K rate, that's that's pushing it. Chris Sale, man, uh, 29.7% K rate. And tough stuff numbers. 3, 3.75 homers per nine so far. <laughs> it's got a 208 whip. It's lower than Blake Snell's whip, though. Yeah, I'm buying Snell. And the other thing is Snell, and, and I, this is totally anecdotal and I don't think predictive, but he's, he himself has had really bad starts to seasons. True. So It just seemed like something clicked for him last year with the adjustments, right? He scrapped that changeup that you hated and went in that role and it just he looks kind of like typical Blake Snell so far. Racking up the high pitch counts. You look, you're watching Blake Snell and there's two outs in the fourth inning. And he's throwing 78 pitches. And there are guys everywhere. The bases are packed. There's only like one out. And you're just sweating to death because you don't know. You don't he's, know if he's going to find the zone and get sweat. out of it. He seems so sweaty. He's got the bags under his eyes. You're just like, God, did you get any sleep last night, dude? That man does not look rested. <laughs> but you can't blame the changeup this year. No, you know, at least at least you got to find something else to, to blame it all on. But. Uh, I'll put it out there. I'm still, I'm still being patient. I'm still believing in Chris Sale. Uh, I know that puts me uh, in a, a smaller group of people today than it would have a month ago. Uh, I didn't get sucked in by spring training. I, I well, I'm the one. I'm the one saying I still believe in Blake Snell. So. Well, hey, we're going down on the. We picked our lefties. Yeah, <laughs> picked our. Should lefties. we choose our fighters? Do we have some sort of Sale versus Snell, which is total roto value by, by season's end? By beer, yeah. Yeah, we could do a pint Dude, on that. I think you're going to win this one, damn it. But I'll I'll, I'll throw it out well, that's there. That's fair by ADP. It's not, you know, I'm not getting an that's edge true. on that. And they're starting from the same crappy spot. <laughs> that's true, too. <laughs> this, is a, this is a fun bet. It's a bit of a stuff plus play. I'm going to bet with stuff plus. I'm going to bet with my well, you, model. You should. I'm just, you know, I'm out here just looking at pages, just guessing what I'm doing right now. <laughs> Uh, so injuries have been a bit of a problem again this week. Jeffrey Springs has left to start on Thursday oh, with some kind yeah, of hand or arm right injury. In front of us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was flexing his hand after delivering a pitch at the top of the fourth inning through one practice pitch and then walked off the field. So we don't know 
the extent of the injury Time yet. to take back our Taj Bradley versus Simeon Woods Richardson take. That aged as poorly as anything we've ever said on this podcast because by the time we stopped recording we get the like, text. Taj Bradley's up. <laughs> Welsh texted us. He goes, Bradley's got promoted. And like, we, were in a, we were in a position where the three of us could jump back on and, and like go further on that but the but we were just we were like he's not gonna be the first guy up yeah uh, he's the first guy he's up. the first guy up and he pitched pretty well and uh, we also thought well if he comes up he's going back down because the rays got plenty of pitching well that part that part was true that part was true for about uh 12 hours and then jeffrey springs got hurt and now since even though bradley got optioned back down if this becomes an il situation bradley can come right back up and take that spot which seems like their preferred path at this point i mean they're not they didn't go to i mean did, did we is it still true that patino and and uh and uh yanni chernos have not pitched in triple a i don't think it, it was true. true no no like two two starts so far for patino seven innings pitched eight k's seven walks two homers that's a 771 oh. era and a 186 whip the best thing i can say about luis patino right now is that he's still 23 years old that's when someone brings up your age is the best thing about you it's uh yeah oh god yanni chernos what eight five nine yara we should have well uh, apologies it's only a matter of time but it could be rust for him too right he's missed a lot of time with with injuries had tommy john and had a setback with his arm and i don't know maybe bradley like broke the stuff model by the way did he did his yeah. were his stuff numbers from his big league debut better than what he was doing at Triple A? Yeah, that seems Which, unusual. Well, there is actually something called the uh, debut bounce, the debut adrenaline velo bounce. So uh, I would assume that he comes down off of that. That's something we've seen in the past. But he's so high up there with a 142 fastball stuff plus. He was third among starters in fastball stuff plus behind Strider and DeGrom. So it's like, all right, he can come off of that and still be pretty good. Um, You know, the cutter uh, did really well. People really liked the curveball from watching it. And uh, uh, people were watching it. And, and liked it, but it, it rated about average. So I'm interested to see if that number changes maybe in the positive direction. But There's a lot of factors in play here, so we don't know the Springs injury information in full yet. Zach Eflin's on the IL. That opened up the spot for Bradley in the first place, and then Glasnow is working his way back from the oblique injury. He just threw he a 15-pitch bullpen yeah. session. That was a bullpen session. So to me, that's at a month. that he's He's four weeks out. Maybe May 11th we could see him, and that's probably the early end of the timetable. Because that was a grade two strain. They're not going to rush yeah. him back from a grade two oblique. So I think, I think Bradley, if he's if he broke the model, got pretty good results. Now you've got two injuries in the rotation on top of the original one with Glass. Now I think he's probably worth Bradley. a pretty hefty FAB. Yeah, and I think I go back to the earlier part of of last season, right? I mean George Kirby, I think was one of the bigger early Fab. Uh, pickups for me, I threw twenty plus percent at him in yeah. tout, and he ended up, he was in my lineup, if not every week, very close to it. I would mm-hmm. say that Taj Bradley, I would have a similar view for him because if Glassdow Glassdow comes back, you know Springs is assuming Springs is injured. Uh, if Glassdow comes back before him, you can still uh, push Josh Fleming out. Mm-hmm. And then you're just you're saying okay. By the time Springs comes back, don't you think somebody else needs a break? 
yes, I, I think I think there's a, a whole bunch of ways this can still go very right for Taj Bradley. So I'm I'm amazed at how quickly things can change. 48 hours after we talked about Simeon Woods Richardson probably being in the better <laughs> position. Throw all your money at him. Yeah, it's like, here's all my fab. <laughs> but Here it was I never go. that we doubted his his ability. Never. No, it just seemed like he was slightly more blocked. Now you just have a better sense of where he is on the pecking order. Yep. And uh, yeah, I think 20 plus percent of your budget is probably what it's going to take to get him. I think people are going to be really aggressive with Bradley, given the success the Rays have had with pitching prospects and just given what Bradley showed us in that debut. So that I'm guessing a flex restrain. Yeah, based on the reaction, that's probably a a good estimate as to what they're looking for. Ulnar neuritis, actually, is the diagnosis. (laughs) News travels fast. Oh, oh, he's saying he can't feel it. That's he was saying something he couldn't feel it. Mm -hmm. Neuritis is nerves, right? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's still got to be like what? It's still got to be a month or something. Still some time, I would imagine. Yeah. Well, there goes my labor team. Yeah. Well, (laughs) hey, look, I. I've got one team. It's the XFL. It's, it's basically it's like Tout Wars, but it's a keeper league. And I co-manage this team with Ryan Bloomfield. So there's moves made throughout the entire offseason. Michael Harris is one of our best keepers. He's on the IL. We traded for Trevor Story <laughs> before he had surgery. That happened. So that, that's pretty big. Brandon Woodruff was another surprise shoulder IL out of nowhere that happened early this week. Hopefully that's a short one. I hope it's a short one. I hope they just you know, little soreness. Give him a couple starts off, and he's fine. I've got Brandon Woodruff a lot of places again. Obviously, I'm a Brewers fan for anyone who's new to the podcast, so it's <laughs> unsettling for all those reasons. Sometimes you just see four, five, six injuries. Luis Rios is on that team. Even like our, our mid-level guys are all banged up. And I'm like, man, that, that team might be a, a quick seller for a keeper league. That might just be play for the future. The Woodruff thing, though, and, and even the Zach Eflin injury, he's not on that team. That kind of came out of nowhere, too, where like Tuesday we got the news. Weekly lineups were locked. And I was sitting there. I'm like, come mm-hmm. on. Like, why, why are we playing on sites that – or why are we not pushing sites to be more flexible with IL rules? I like weekly baseball leagues. I think weekly is better than daily because it's, it's a little more accessible for but people. But in daily, if your guy gets hurt, like, at least you can replace him. Right. You know? And I don't, I just what don't, if you could just replace a guy from your bench in a weekly league? If he gets hurt, I think that would be the perfect compromise. It's it's not that you, yeah, it's like a midweek IL swap. Tout Wars has it on on Roto. It can be programmed. It can be built. All it is, you get a flag where someone has an actual IL designation. They can come out. Someone off the bench goes in. No further changes. That's it. Because it still rewards you for having good pitching on your bench, right? Mm-hmm. In the case of my one my one Woodruff team, the midweek IL replacement I could have had. This is actually a league where I can do that. It was Spencer Turnbull against the Blue Jays, and Ryan, ah, Ryan and I texted each other. You might not even done that. We, we we're like, do we want this start? And we we're like, no, no. We've, no. We'll just we'll just take the zero. We'll just we'll take our medicine on this one. But you like having the option because you may have had one more good starter, or you may have a reliever that you want to throw out there. And I just think that you shouldn't get burned because the injury news came out the day after lineups locked. It's not had you known yeah. what you knew, you would have easily just played somebody else because you had somebody else. I don't know. I just think that's a simple accommodation. It's such accommodation. a trick of the schedule. Like they probably would have announced it if they maybe they didn't play on Monday that day, you know? Right. And so they don't have to announce anything because they're not it's a day off. And they have to announce something on Tuesday before the game because they're going to make a corresponding roster move. 
that's just a, a really frustrating thing about weekly leagues. And I, I hope we can get past that. I just think it would make the game more fun for everybody if we had a little more wiggle room on injured players. The midweek injuries, being able to swap those players out, I think it would make our weekly leagues a lot more fun to play. You got questions for a future episode? Hit us up, ratesandbarrels at gmail.com. We'll start getting to that mailbag again next week. It's been a little while. I bet that mailbag's as messy as the old mailbag, which is a total disaster right now. I've got lots of <laughs> thank you notes to send and lots of follow-ups to send to people, and I don't know when I'm going to get them. So if you get emails from me at like 4.30 in the morning, you know exactly what's happening. Uh, I am holding a baby, trying to get the baby to sleep and trying to respond <laughs> to some emails with uh, with like one eye open. That's that, It'll keep me awake. That's the good thing. You can find Eno on Twitter at Enoceris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. If you'd like to get a subscription to The Athletic, it's a dollar a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. It's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.